0: I was commenting, um, a few weeks ago in leaders meeting, um, that I felt like I was compartmentalizing like every story was just, you know, I didn't, I just couldn't get past it. And, um, I know that Jesus being who he is, the master storyteller, the genius of the world was not having some kind of random thoughts, um, as if he could have a random thought, um, I knew that there was a bigger meaning to this. And I really believe that these series of stories and potent one-liners are inextricably linked. It was a, stor- a bigger story, a bigger story about God and man, about the great links he would go to to save sinners, a story about how we should then live in light of that great love. A story about a Savior who came to seek and save the lost and establish his kingdom on earth. Jesus told several stories in chapters 15 and 16 that are bookended by two sinful men. Heaven rejoices over the re- one, the repentant sign, but there is no rejoicing over the other. One comes to repentance by coming to the end of himself. The other doesn't come to, his in, to the end of himself until it's too late to repent. Now, I'm a sucker for a happy ending, but not all endings are happy. But the ones that are, well, they're pretty great. Also, I want to take a minute here to say that everything that I'm speaking about today, I'm not just saying for our benefit as a group, but I'm preaching it to myself deep within my soul. Studying Luke has been profoundly convicting, but also highly encouraging. I pray that we will come to a greater understanding of God's kingdom and our place and our duty in it. I pray that this study won't leave us the same as we were before. The parable of the prodigal son is the most beloved and taught parable Jesus ever told. And the parable that follows, well... It's possibly the least talked about and the least understood. On the hills of a story about a father rejoicing over his repentant son coming home, Jesus tells a parable aimed at his disciples. The Pharisees are still within earshot, and he tells a story about a landowner who discovers that his employee has been dishonest. There are a zillion different commentaries about this, and they all have a bunch of different opinions about what it is. But R.C. Sproul and Alistair Begg have been really helpful in helping me to understand parables in general. And R.C. Sproul says to remember that a parable usually only has one main point. And Begg says, the main thing is the plain thing, and the plain thing is the main thing. Don't get bogged down. I find this very helpful because the first ten times I read this parable... I thought, what in the world? This absolutely makes absolutely no sense to me, and I must not be a disciple of the Lord because I am completely confused by it. And I thought, Lord, help me. I I can't do this on my own. So I prayed, and I dug a little deeper, and I found out that one of the main problems I was having was with the word shrewd. To me, being shrewd had a negative connotation. It meant, ne- it meant sly or cunning or manipulative. But the reality is, when I took the time to actually look it up, shrewd actually just meant to be prudent and wise. Now that's a lot better. I think I can make a little sense of this parable now. So the God of all heaven and earth expects us as his disciples to be prudent and wise with our time and our resources. I am to be as wise in dealing with spiritual matters as people of the world are dealing with unspiritual matters. Why should we be less prudent with our time and money and talents? All of it is his anyway. He's going to accomplish his work no matter what. We don't thwart his plans. Even if we're disobedient and sinful, he will get it done. But we will be deprived of true peace and happiness if we fail to be obedient to what he's given us we live in an age where cheap grace is applauded and disobedience is denounced for what so we can live our lives live lives that never satisfy we spend our time and our energy on things that have little use We abuse the good gifts that God has given us to what end so that we can mindlessly binge watch TV or scroll the internet or eat to our detriment or exercise to excess or to be overly consumed with our physical health and not give one wit about our spiritual health. We are lazy, narcissistic, perfectionist. No, that's not a virtue. Prideful anxious. This is a true gut check. How many times do I do things that I know will never satisfy? Being a child of God requires me, requires me to be prudently and wisely using his good gifts. As I'm saying these words to you right now, I think it all sounds so pat, but the reality is it's hard My old sin nature is warring within me. It wants me to take the wide road, the road to destruction. And the Lord says the narrow road is the way to everlasting life. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. Bonhoeffer said, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, and grace without Jesus. True grace and obedience are intertwined. You can't have one without the other. Jesus came to save us from our sin, but also to give us an abundant life. An abundant life that is gracious, prudent, obedient, disciplined. Shall we live our lives as slaves to sin? Our slaves to God. He gave us our time, our lives, our money to to honor him, to bless others. And in the process we find true enjoyment and peace and happiness. Spurgeon said this If you will always do, if you will always will to do as God wills, you will be happy. We were meant to enjoy God and to love him through our service and work. Luther says this, it's a famous quote, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. God gave us these good works so that we can enjoy fellowship with him and also with other believers. After telling the parable about the dishonest manager, Jesus gets right to the point. He doesn't leave you scratching your head or wondering what he meant. He just comes right out and says it. No servant can serve Two masters. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and ridiculed him, and he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before God, before men, but God knows your heart. Well, is this where the rubber meets the road? God knows your heart. No amount of fake obedience or trying to circumvent the law can fool the one person that really matters, the one person that can really justify you, not before man, but for before God himself. And God only not only knows your heart, but he's the only one with the power to change your heart. He is the one who regenerates and justifies, and when he saves, he also gives us the power to obey. Hendrickson, in his commentary on this chapter, puts it like this. Entrance into the kingdom requires genuine self-denial, earnest endeavor, untiring energy, and utmost exertion. The energy to do this comes from God, of course, but that does not remove the human factor. Once more, I find Scripture cutting me to the core. No excuses. I'm to have one master. Of all the things I can obsess over, There is only one that provides me true life. I can choose to live for today, or I can choose to live for eternity. Sin can be my master, or Christ can If I'm going to obsess over something, I pray to God that it is him. If I'm going to be devoted to something or someone, let it be Christ, because he surely is devoted to me. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, For this thy dying sorrow, the pity without end. Oh, make me thine forever, and should I fainting be. Lord, let me never, ever outlive my love for thee. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Today is the day we examine ourselves. We live in a time and place where our devotion or lack thereof is going to become more and more evident. And just this past week, a pastor in Canada was jailed for preaching. You can read about it on the Internet. You can go to Christian Post. But, um, yeah, and his condition for his release is that he will agree not to preach anymore. So he's still in jail. So the time is coming, and it's already here, where the world will know us how we conduct ourselves. Now is the time to gird up your loins. It's time to be courageous. I was recently reading The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, and for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's a satirical novel about a a man, about a demon named Screwtape, who is trying to teach his nephew, Wormwood, about all the ways he can try to prevent people from coming to Christ, and once they come to Christ, how he can sort of derail their Christian life. Um, The man is known as the patient, and God, in this novel, is referred to as the enemy. So it can be a little confusing, so keep these characters in mind when I start reading these excerpts to you. I think Lewis was probably pretty spot on on this. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft, underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. If you can get into the point of thinking religion is all very well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A A moderate religion is as good as no religion at all and more amusing. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never in more danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending, to do our enemy's will, looks around at a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he's been forsaken and still obeys. One more and I'm done. He would therefore have them continually concerned with either eternity, which means being concerned with him, or with the present, either with meditating on their eternal union with separa- or with separation from himself, or else, obeying the present voice of conscience, bearing the present cost, cross, receiving the present grace, and giving thanks for the present pleasure. This brings me to our final story, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We know that by reading Luke, that Lazarus was redeemed, but that his his life on earth wasn't particularly pleasant. Maybe Lewis had Lazarus in mind when he wrote about men who lived in a world where it seemed like they had been forsaken and obeyed anyway. Lazarus is spending eternity with God and enjoying all the blessings that come with such a union. Conversely, the rich man in this parable paved his road to hell gradually. He had no concern for spiritual things while he lived. He had Moses, Abraham, the prophets, yet he was too busy enjoying the good life to give it a moment's care. His comfortable life had turned to torment, not for a while, but forever. These stories serve as cautionary tales, different men, different outcomes. Some repented and believed. The others didn't have time to consider the weighty matters in life. They were too busy tithing their mint and cumin and enjoying earthly pleasures to excess. Their hearts were hard. They cared about themselves and had little or no care for anyone else. I pray that the Lord grants us soft hearts, capable of belief, repentance, and and obedience. We believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. As As I wrap up, I want to stress that in no way do I think obedience has anything to do with your salvation, but I think salvation has everything to do with your obedience. And I don't want us to leave here being afraid or discouraged about what lies ahead. Satan would like nothing more than for us to be afraid of the future. I'm going to quote Spurgeon again. (laughs) Time is short. Eternity is long. It is only reasonable that this short life be lived in light of eternity. I want us to leave here with the confidence that comes from knowing that if you are a child of God, he has promised you that he will love you perfectly forever and ever and ever. And he will give you the strength to persevere. And he will give you a peace that passes all understanding. He will make real to you the promise of a day when there is no more sorrow. And all things will be made new. And I can't think of a happier ending than that. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, your word really has cut us to the core. And we do pray that we will take in these words, and meditate on them, preach them to ourselves deep in our souls so that we won't be unchanged by them. Let us resolve today and tomorrow and the day after that we will be obedient to your word and that we are willing to take the narrow road. Help us, Lord. We can't do it of our own volition. We need you please help us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.